Hey, we're so glad you could join us on our podcast today. We hope this message equips and inspires you. And if you're ever in the Liverpool area, we would love to have you join us at one of our services. Our service times are 11am and 6pm. For now though, enjoy this podcast. Listen, we're actually in the start of a brand new series called Gone Fishing. We're in the holiday season, right? And I think it's probably true for many of us that if you've ever been fishing, then chances are you've done it because you want a bit of escapism. You want to kind of go sit in a lake, do your own thing, be away from everybody, and just be, you know, able to think on your own and gather your own thoughts. But sometimes as followers of Christ, it's good sometimes to do the equivalent of that to create a little bit of space, maybe even escape at times, to reevaluate our faith and where we're at in our relationship with God. So we're really looking forward to this series as we go digging and fishing in all of the fishing stories that are in and around the Bible. We're really looking forward about getting stuck into this. You know, last week, my wife may have shared with some of you how our youngest son, who's a little bit of a budding entrepreneur, has actually, he's kind of started up his own business, right? He's decided that throughout the summer holidays, he's going to be a car washer. So he's gone and printed off his own business cards. He's laminated them all up, and he's got a current offer, if any of you are interested. It's £5 for the outside, £5 for the inside, but he will do you an incredibly special offer of £10 for both, right? And he just sees this as being a great way for him to make some money over the summer holidays. And I kind of, as his dad, I think it's a, I think it's a great idea, and I'm all for it. So he says to me at the beginning of the week, he said, hey, listen, do you think that I can come into work with you one day this week? Because maybe, you know, whilst you're working, maybe we can ask some of the other guys and girls who are in the church, you know, people on staff, people on team, maybe if they want their car washing, then I can wash their car for them. I mean, how awesome is that? They get to come to work and I wash their car and they pay me. So I was like, okay, I think we might be able to set this up. So he kind of comes in one day this week and he brings his bucket full of lotions and potions and all kind of stuff that he's pinched from me probably somewhere. And um, he comes with his gear, he's got his jet wash, he's ready to go on his thing and we get him set up. And where he's like going about his business is directly underneath where I'm going about doing my day's work. So he's in the courtyard and I'm in my office, which is on a third floor. And um, he kind of like starts to move through everyone's car that he's currently washing. And what I notice is that at multiple different times throughout the day, he starts shouting up like, hey, dad. And he knows that I can hear him and he knows that I'm a bit of a sucker and I'm not going to ignore him. So I kind of go to the window and I look down at where he is and I can just about see him and I shout out the window, he's like, what's up? And he's like, come here. So I go running down all three flights of stairs and go out into the courtyard where he is. And most often it was something like, um, what lotion am I using for this? And what am I doing here? And then I would kind of like set him up and then run back up and carry on with my work doing my day. Maybe 10, maybe 15 minutes would go by and then I'd hear again, hey dad. And I'd again go out to the window and I'd look down and I'd go, what's up, son? And he's like, can you come and show me how to do the thing? So I'd run down the three flights of stairs, go out into the courtyard, and then I'd like, you know, kind of get him set up, whatever it was he was trying to do, get him all fixed, get him all sorted. And, and this was going on like all day. I mean, like numerous interruptions into my working day. At some point mid-afternoon, he's on his last car. I can hear him shouting up again. He's like, dad, dad. 
And I kind of go to the window and I can hear as though, you know, there's something going on in his voice. I'm thinking, is there a problem? He goes, dad, dad, come down quick. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what's he doing? Is he like jet washing the inside of someone's car? What's going wrong here? So I run down the three flights of stairs and I go out and he's like, dad, come around this side, quick, come right here. So I go around to the other side of the car where he's now stood at the other end and he kind of says to me, have a look at this. And I'm thinking like, what are we doing here? And he goes, look at this, dad. It's the biggest bird poo ever. And I'm like, are you for real? I mean, honestly, I must have ran up and down those stairs like maybe 25 times, maybe even 30 times throughout the duration of that day. And he's now brought me down to look at the size of a bird poo on the side of the car that he's washing. But right there and then, me and him, we had one of those kind of like father-son moments, you know, he's looking and laughing and I'm kind of going, well, that is it's pretty impressive, you know, who'd have thought, huh? We had this kind of father and son moment because just there and then I realized this was just an opportunity for me to share some wisdom to him. And I said, you see, the thing is, son, that's exactly what happens if you mess around with big scouse birds. They will put stuff all over you, seriously. So the moral of the story is you don't mess with scouse birds and you know it, Liverpool One Church. <laughs> but here's the thing, right? You know, I don't kind of mind running up and down three flights of stairs when it's my son. You know, like when it's someone that you love, who's your friend or your family member. Have you ever noticed how it's always easier to be inconvenienced and go out of your way for them? It's always kind of easier to not perceive of their multiple and numerous requests for your attention as not being a distraction or an interruption to your day because of who it is that's asking. It's just kind of easier to help the people that we love, right? And this is true for us all. It's just easier. But when I think about Jesus and when we all read the scriptures, what we find is we can see a life, a pattern contained within his life where consistently he would be going about his everyday business He'd be traveling from one town to another town. He'd be taking a journey, maybe with his disciples. And when he'd be leaving one place with an intentional and specific purpose about going to another, another place, all of the time, he received countless interruptions to his day. I mean, the amount of people that would stop Jesus and interact with Jesus when he was on the way to somewhere else is just unbelievable. There was always somebody that needed helping. There was always somebody that needed healing. There was always somebody that was hurting, that Jesus always seemed to give the time of day towards. He would always seemingly be willing to help, serve, heal, and teach. It kind of shows us that Jesus was really about everyone. You know, I don't know whether everybody in this auditorium at church today is a Christian or not, but for those of us that say that we are, there's something that you've got to know about your fellowship of Christ. And by the way, if maybe you're in church with us tonight and you've not yet made that decision to follow Christ, or maybe you're just weighing things up, you're here genuinely just checking church out, I just want you to know that that is totally fine with us. We're delighted that you're here. And what we're going to talk about tonight is great for you to know too, because it kind of gets us to where the bottom line is for our entire Christian faith. But if you are already a follower of Jesus, I think that what we can learn from the life of Jesus 
is that being a Christian is not about so many things that we often think it is. Being a follower of Jesus, being a Christian, it's not really about being part of a club or a clique inside a church. It's not really about learning the magic songs to sing. Neither is it about creating your own invisible attendance chart that you can check the box therein and one day hope that you'd be able to show it to God to kind of prove that you've been a good Christian and you've been to church. Being a follower of Jesus is not about any of that stuff at all. In fact, the real essence of what being a follower of Jesus is all about is about you becoming like Jesus. That is exactly what it's about. In fact, do you know that you are most like Jesus when you are serving and helping others? When you choose to go out of your way and help another, a friend, a family member, or maybe even a stranger, do you know that you are more like Jesus in those moments than pretty much everything that you can see ever happening on this platform? I promise you. It's in those moments when you choose to help others that you are most like Jesus. And you know what? We're not shy in talking about this stuff at church because one of the reasons why we actively try and encourage every single one of us actually to maybe be involved in the life of Liverpool One Church and get on a team and get on a serving group is because we understand that actually when you choose to help people, it's when you become most like Jesus. It's why we are so grateful and appreciative for some of the incredible volunteers. And we, honestly, I believe this with all of my heart. I've been to a lot of different churches in and around this country, even around the world. And I believe that we have got some of the best, if not the best volunteers on the entire planet right here at Liverpool One Church. But you know, I'm so grateful for the people who sacrifice their time and energy to, to, to be like Jesus. I'm really grateful of people like Will Kell and Robin who are our kids pastors. And you know what? Almost many weeks, they and their team, they put on a service for all of our children to enjoy whilst you're having the benefit of everything that happens here in the auditorium. They miss out on all of that to look after and teach in the ways of Jesus all of our children. How incredible is that? I'm so appreciative of all of our security teams who are consistently just checking, checking, and double checking that everything is right and in order in the building with stuff, with people. And often they too get to miss out on much of what goes on in this auditorium because they're serving you in that way. And when they do that, I believe that they are most like Jesus. But it is easy for us to still come to church and still feel like, well, I don't know whether I could ever be like Jesus. And that creates a problem. It creates a tension. Because if you're in church, or maybe even a follower of Jesus, and you're not sure if you could ever be like Jesus, then chances are, then you're never gonna do what Jesus did. And that is a problem. You see, our goal as a church family is to see us all become more like Jesus and do the things that he did. You know, perhaps one of the worst questions you can ever be asked in church, especially if church world is kind of new to you, and I understand totally that for many of you, church and being a part of Liverpool One Church here is something that's new. Perhaps one of the worst questions you can ever be asked that can kind of feel a little bit awkward, it can be the dreaded question, is when somebody says, you know, um, hey, do you wanna get involved? 
Hey, do you want to help? Hey, do you want to serve on a team? Because for many of us, we can kind of think, well, I don't mind being a part of the church. I don't even mind singing the songs. I'll even clap my hands every now and then, but don't ask me to do anything. So when you ask that question, it creates all this kind of anxiety that makes you go, I don't even know if that's what I want to do. And it can make you feel awkward. It can make the asker feeling even more awkward because of your response. So I'm just going to make this really easy tonight, right? I'm just going to give you some of the best excuses that you can give if anybody ever asks you to help out with anything in life. This is what you can say, ready-made, tried and tested excuses that we can all use. So the first thing that we can say is this. We could say, I'm too young. Like, I'm really sorry, but I can't help or I can't serve or I can't do the do because, well, I'm just too young. You see, I'm gonna leave that for somebody who's just older. I'm gonna leave that for somebody who's just further on in their life than me. I'm gonna maybe leave it until a time in my life where I've got the mortgage sorted or where, when I've qualified from university or when I've got the mortgage paid off or when, you know, when I'm later on in my life, when I've got things more together, then that will probably be a more idealistic time for me to start helping. The only problem is, is the scriptures talk about if you're young, whatever you, you do, do not despise the fact that you are young, but actually see and understand that who you are is exactly who God made you to be and you've got gifts within you and don't hide them, don't shy away from them, but that's an excuse that you could use, I'm too young. You know, another excuse that some of us could use, we could say something like, well, I'm not gonna help, I'm not gonna get involved, I'm not gonna reach out to someone else because the thing is, I'm too old. You know, it's like, I, I've done that before. I've been involved in that before. So let's let the young ones do it. Let, let young'uns do all jumping, aye. Let young ones do it. Let them have a go. You know, and it's kind of like, mm, I don't know whether God takes that excuse because there's gifts inside of you that when you deprive the wider church of your wisdom and your knowledge and your life skills, it's kind of like you're not letting everybody else see the good things of God that he's placed within you. Sometimes an excuse that we use is this. We say, well, I don't know enough of the Bible. You know, have you ever thought that? Like, well, maybe I'll help in a church or maybe I'll just help someone in my life when I know more Bible. When I understand what Revelation 11 verse eight says, off by heart verbatim, at that point in my life, I'll be qualified then. I'll have all the ticks in all the right boxes. Maybe at that point, I'll start to help out when I just get a bit more knowledge and I understand that. You know, what about this one? Sometimes we say things like, well, I'm just too busy. You don't understand my schedule. I've just got crazy things going on right now. And hey, listen, you know what? I totally get this one. I really, really do. Because especially for those of you that maybe have got a job or even a couple of jobs and maybe children or a couple of children, I understand that the pulls and the demands on your time at times are just downright crazy. You know, when I was a kid, my social life consisted of me and my bike riding around our estate and neighborhood, just looking for friends, anybody to play with. And that would kind of be how I would socialize. Now, you get, get the kids home from school when you dash home late from work and they're out at gymnastics, bowling, they're doing laser quests, they're at football, they're at this, and then that's not even mentioned in the parties and then you've got your thing and you wanted to get the gym and your wife's got her thing and, and then you're out for this. And I understand that the pulls on all of our time can at times just be crazy. 
But what if these excuses just don't cut it? I mean, like, what if these excuses might sound great to us? What if they just don't cut it with God? Perhaps the one excuse that we sometimes think should cut it with God is the excuse when we say, well, I couldn't do that, A, B, or C, because the thing is, you don't know me, you don't know my past, you don't know my story. The thing is about me is I could never be like Jesus. I mean, I've heard some of the things that Jesus did. I've heard some of the stories about who he was and how he went about his everyday life. Well, there's no way that I could do that. So I'm not even gonna go there because I cannot be like Jesus. But what if that doesn't cut it with God either? What if it just doesn't make the grade with him? You know, what's interesting is when you look through Bible history, and you try and understand how the broader context of what was happening in Jesus' day directly affects how we read what happened in Jesus' day and apply that to our life. You see, the Jewish educational system was very, very different to ours. We're based more on a Western and Greek educational system, and the Jewish system was just a little bit different in their thinking and their thought process. But typically... How a child would be educated in the days that Jesus walked the planet would look something like this. Approximately at the age of six, they would enroll in something that was called Beit Zephyr. It would be a small room at the synagogue where the local rabbi, the religious leader of the day, who was most respected, probably the most respected and highly thought of man in the entire region, he would start to teach all of these six to 10-year-olds the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They would learn the Torah, they would discuss the Torah, but then check this. By age 10, they would have learned the entire first five books of the Bible off by heart to memory. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Off by heart. Typically, though, at age 10, what would then happen is the children would be dismissed from education, and they would tend to go back and work alongside their parents. They would ply the family business. So if dad was a carpenter, little junior would be a carpenter. If dad was a fisherman, then junior would be a fisherman also. Unless you were the best of the best. Because if you were the best of the best, I mean like the smartest and the brightest in the entire class, then you wouldn't return to work with your family in the family business, but rather you would be encouraged to go on to the next stage of education. It was something called Beit Talmud. Beit Talmud was pretty much designed for children aged between 10 and 14, and this would happen in a larger hall in a local synagogue. I mean, it would just take their educational level to an entire new way of thinking. Because now, not only would they look at the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, but they would look at the rest of the Hebrew scriptures in total as well. And then check this. Not only would they discuss and know and learn about the scriptures, they would memorize them off by heart. Genesis through to Malachi, the entire Old Testament. It was during this level of their education as well, where these Jewish children would be taught the art of questions and answers. Because 
the way in which their education system worked was quite different to what the way in which ours works. You see, because we are ingrained with this Greek methodology and way of thinking, we want specific questions to be given specific answers. So if we ask the question, what's two plus two, we say four. That's how our education system works. But in Jewish culture, it was just different. It was all about questions and then giving answers in the form of questions. So in answer to the question of what's two plus two, you would not respond with four. You would pose a question. You would say, well, what's 16 divided by four? And then in return, you would be given another question that was in the form of an answer. It was this highly intellectual way of kind of working through the educational process. Then typically what would happen by the age of 14, all of the children would then return home and they would go and ply the family business. In other words, they would then just go and they would start working with dad, they would do the whole fisherman thing, they would do the carpentry thing, maybe dad was a builder, you would go into that line of work unless you were the best of the best. And I mean, if you were the A-star student, and I'm talking straight A-stars, I'm talking if you were the Cambridge and Oxford University candidate, then you would be invited to apply to continue in your learning under something called Beit Midrash, which was basically your application to submit to a rabbi who you would then try and learn as much as you possibly could from. But the rabbis in Jesus' days, they were the most highly respected people in the entire region. I mean, everybody wanted to be around the rabbis. I mean, the idea that you could even have a conversation with a rabbi was just the most overwhelming and honoring thing. I mean, this was an incredible achievement because you wanted to be like the rabbis. They were the most learned. They were the most educated. They were deemed to be the most holy. They were just incredible people. So what would happen is these 14-year-olds would now go for their application interview with the rabbi. And the rabbi would start to grill them with all of these multiple questions and answers. And it's really interesting the way that this worked because, again, we're in a Jewish educational system. And what they would do is they would pose questions to the candidate in the form of scriptures taken from the Hebrew scriptures, yet the answer that they were wanting to receive were not to mention the direct scripture, but rather it had to pose a question that also included the scripture before and also after the reference point that was given to them by the rabbi. I mean, it was just the most incredible thing. And all of this time, this exchange in conversation would happen between a rabbi and this applicant, and this talk would just continually be going on. And all of the time, this rabbi has got this kid sat in front of him. And the one thing the rabbi's trying to work out is this. Is this kid, is he good enough? Can this kid learn what I know? But way more than that, the rabbi's trying to figure out, can this kid do what I do? Can he be like me? Can he carry my yoke? You know, the yoke in terms of how rabbis would see it in those days would be that different rabbis would look at certain portions of scripture and they would have a slightly different slant on it. And their slightly different slant, their teaching was referred to 
as a yoke. And every rabbi would have a slightly different yoke. And they'd always be interviewing the applicant, trying to figure out, like, can this kid do what I do? Is he good enough? Is he smart enough? Can he carry my yoke? Now, for most applicants, what would happen at the end of the interview is the rabbi would respond, and the rabbi would probably say something like, look, it's really clear that you love God and that you understand the Hebrew scriptures and that you've, you've learned the Torah and you've done incredibly well, but right now you should probably go home and ply your family business. In other words, you should go the way of your father. If you wanna pray for anything, then why don't you pray that God blesses you with children and pray that your children will one day be a rabbi. In essence, he was saying, because you're not going to make it. So go and ply the family business unless you were the best of the best of the best. And if you were, then the rabbi would lean forward and he would say to the candidate, lek akarai. It means come and follow me. But come follow me, it means way more than that. It means I believe that you can do what I do. I believe that you can learn everything that I have learned, that you can be like me. And at that point in which the rabbi would say, come and follow me, I mean, it would just be this time of like overwhelming rejoicing. I mean, mum and dad would be so proud. I mean, the town would celebrate. Everybody would know this was the greatest achievement that any kid could ever get. It was just incredible. The rabbi was saying, I believe that you can be like me. I think that you've got it. And during the celebration, all of the wise men and the sages had this saying, and it would say this, it would say, May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Because what it was referring to was how from this point on, everything was gonna change for them and for the better. Because where their rabbi would go, they would go. When their rabbi would travel and they would walk through the dusty long roads, then they would follow and it was like, let everything that the rabbi knows be washed off on you. May you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. But I say all of that to give us some context because don't you find that when you understand more about the history, it kind of changes the way that we read things for ourselves today. So I want to, in just a moment, to jump into a fishing story found in Matthew 4. It happens when Jesus was 30 years of age, which was, by the way, the age that rabbis would then start to go about publicly teaching and Jesus is walking along a beach and he has this first introduction with these two guys called Peter and Andrew, who maybe you would now know end up being some of his disciples. So let's see what happens in Matthew 4, verse 18. It says this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So here is Jesus at 30 years of age, walking along the shore where he comes across these two guys 
One of them is called Simon, whose name later gets changed to Peter, and he's with his brother Andrew. And this conversation kind of takes place where Jesus calls out to Peter and Andrew, and he's like, you know, why don't you come and follow me? And it tells us that they dropped their nets and immediately went and followed Jesus. Why did they follow Jesus? Lek, Akarai, come and follow me. Yet, where were Simon, Peter, and Andrew when Jesus gave them that invitation? They were in a boat, fishing. They were fishermen. They weren't the best of the best. They didn't make the cut. (laughs) They didn't make the grade. These were the ones that the educational system had rejected and spat out and said to them, go and ply the family trade. And Jesus said to them, Come and follow me. I mean, no wonder this makes total sense now. Of course, they dropped their nets and immediately ran after Jesus. They couldn't believe this invitation that they were being given. I mean, this doesn't make any sense at all because the rabbis were the most respected and revered people in all the city, right? But what's Jesus saying here? He's saying, I think you've got what it takes, Simon. Andrew, I think that you can be like me. I think that you can learn what I know. I think you can do what I do. You know, what's crazy is the story that comes immediately afterwards. Because in Matthew 14, it talks about in verse 22, there's this well-known scripture. It's a miracle where the disciples are all out in a fishing boat doing their thing. And in the middle of the night, Jesus, who's been up a mountainside praying, comes out walking on the water, which is a bit freakish. Let's be honest. I mean, like, how does that happen? I mean, I don't know. But it's just kind of amazing when you think about it. And then all of the disciples on the boat just start to freak out because they're like, whoa. You know, and embedded within their Jewish thinking was still waters was where the ghosts were. And they were totally freaked out by this. And Jesus comes over and they're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And Jesus kind of says to them, you know, hey, look, guys, you you don't need to be afraid. But what's interesting is, as you read the story, what you find out is that Peter then says to Jesus, which is just a crazy thing for anybody to say, he says, you know, like, Jesus, if it's really you, then let me come out and walk on the water also. I mean, do you not think for a moment, like, why on earth would anybody ask to walk on the water? Because for Peter, this made total sense. He wants to be like his rabbi. He wants to do what the rabbi can do. He wants to know how to be like everything that the rabbi is. So this makes total sense. He's like, he sees Jesus, his rabbi, out walking on the water. So he goes out and asks to walk on the water also. And Jesus says, well, come on, Peter. Let's do this thing, Peter. And Peter gets out and at the start, everything's going tremendously well, like no problems at all. I mean, we don't know how far he got, but he starts to walk on the water and then he has this moment. Peter's out there in the lake, looking at Jesus, looking at the winds, looking at the waves and he starts to freak out, doesn't he? And he's like, oh my gosh, am I gonna drown? And maybe his body starts to sink underneath the waves and the water and it all feels crazy and he starts to panic. You know what the mad thing is? You know, he starts to cry out to Jesus, you know, 
Lord, save me. And Jesus responds to him with this really mad thing. He responds to Peter, and this is what he says. He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It's crazy, because think about this. Peter is drowning, and Jesus is walking on the water. And when we think about that statement, you of little faith, what we instinctively feel is that Jesus must have been questioning Peter's faith in him. But Jesus didn't have the problem. Jesus wasn't sinking. Jesus was walking on the water just fine. Jesus didn't have an issue. So why would Jesus say to Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus didn't have a problem at all. It's because Peter started to doubt himself. Peter started to doubt that he could be like his rabbi. Peter was doing now the very same thing that we do all the time. We go, I could never be like Jesus. Like, I I could never do that. That's for someone else. That's for someone more educated. That's for someone older. That's for someone younger. I could never be like Jesus. And Jesus is like you of little faith. The crazy thing is, is we always build our faith life around what we believe in God. But what if God believes in you. You know, when Jesus is saying to Peter, you have little faith, he was questioning Peter's faith within himself because even Jesus had faith in Peter that he could be like him, that he could talk like him, that he could walk like him, that he could do the things that Jesus did. Peter had a faith crisis because he stopped believing that he could be like Jesus. And you see, this is where it gets real for us because we do this all the time. I mean, I don't know what your world looks like, but I ask you this question. What boat don't you step out of because you don't rate and value you? How many people are not helped in your world because you don't think that you could be like Jesus? How many people are there in our workplaces, in our colleges, in our communities that you don't read out to because you don't have faith in you the same way that Jesus has faith in you? And I get it, right? You don't see the point in reaching out to that family that's in your street, whose parents are just going through a crazy divorce and you know that if you get involved in that, it's gonna be you know, inviting the, the carnage and the chaos and the trouble to your door. But it's because you don't think that you've got anything good to bring to that situation because you don't value you the way that Jesus values you. You don't see the greatness that God has put on the inside of you. You don't think about making a meal to the broken, hurting, single mom because you don't think that doing that stuff is you being like Jesus. When actually, when you do that, you're more like Jesus than anything else that happens. Anything else that happens on a stage or a platform or an auditorium or even a stadium. When you do the small things, when 
you create a way to speak life and speak kindness and encouragement, maybe even create a kindness plan for the single mom, for the single guy, for the one whose father is sick, for the one that's just lost a job. I mean, how many times do we not do that stuff because we just don't think we can be like Jesus when all the time Jesus values you and he says about you, Lekakarai, come and follow me because you can do what I do. You don't have to wait until you've got the qualification. You don't have to wait for a time to just start loving on the people that are in your world because the bottom line is this. Do you know that to the people who are your friends and your family, chances are for many of them, and listen to me on this, right? The kindness that you show to them is the only Jesus that some of them will ever see. So don't you say, I can't help because I'm not like Jesus, because Jesus has faith in you.